May you please open your Bibles and meet me in Luke chapter 3. I'll be in Luke 3. You can meet me there beginning at verse number 15. Thank you for the wonderful singing this morning. Luke chapter 3, we're going to begin in verse 15. And some of you, uh, hopefully many of you, did you see the new bulletin that we have? Everybody have one? I've changed it a little bit. There are some announcements that we make every week, and I've tried to put those in there. We will monthly make a new bulletin, okay? So just to change the announcements, our contact details, church schedules on the back, and then there's a page in there for sermon notes. So you guys know what I was doing. I'd give you my outline and so forth. Rather than do that, you have some paper there to make some notes. So if you want to put down the title to today's sermon, I'm preaching about Jesus is the, capital letters, T-H-E, Jesus is the big deal. Not that he's a big deal, he is the big deal. Luke 3, verse 15, the Bible says, And as the people were in expectation, and all men mused in their hearts of John, so that means they're thinking about it, whether he were the Christ or not, John answered, saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I'm not worthy to unloose. The same shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and will gather the wheat into his garner, but the chaff will he burn with fire unquenchable. And many other things in his exhortation preached he unto the people. And if you would, bow your heads with me. Let's ask God for some help. Father, as we have now opened your book, these are your words. I believe that some very important things need to be said this morning about the most important person to ever walk the face of the earth, and that is your son. Father, I'm confident that you will honor your promise that where two or three are gathered together in your name, you'll be in the midst. And, and we count on that today. We have come to meet with you, to hear from you. So I, do, I yield myself now. Use me simply as a, as a tool, as an instrument to communicate your message. Prepare the hearts of the people that are listening. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can see in verse 15 that these folks, they thought John was a big deal. Rightfully so. I, last week we began to look at John the Baptist and his ministry we already knew this from chapter 1, that John the Baptist was the forerunner for the Messiah, that God was going to use John in a very special way. So John is a unique character in the Bible. We knew that getting into this chapter. But now the people, after hearing John, seeing John, John has a massive following at this point. Thousands of people are coming to the River Jordan on a weekly basis to hear him preach. Some historians say that John actually had more followers than Jesus. As far as an earthly ministry goes, there were more people following John than the three years that Jesus preached. Now, obviously, not all of them were converted and followed Jesus and so forth, but John had a massive following. And they mused in their hearts, is, is John, could he possibly be the Messiah? They, the Jews have been waiting over a thousand years for this Messiah to show up defeat their enemies, give them back their kingdom. They see so many people getting their hearts and, and lives right. Could this be the Messiah? John was no doubt, he was a big deal, a big deal. John, 
He did his job well, didn't he? As a forerunner, as a herald, if you're familiar with that term, in ancient times this was quite common for any dignitary, any king, when they would come to a new place where they hadn't been before, they would send a herald before them, a messenger. And this messenger would go weeks before the king, and he would stand at the edge of the city or on their tower, you know, on their wall, and say, Hear ye, hear ye, all hail, king so-and-so cometh. You know what they would say? Make straight in the desert a way for this king. Make his path straight. They would actually expect these cities and towns to clear forest. If a, if a road was crooked and winding, they would expect them to change the road to make it straight. Fill in a valley, level a mountain, whatever it took so that the king could get straight to that town. It's our version of rolling out the red carpet. They just had a lot more to do with their red carpet. John was very good at his job, amen? He prepared the way. He came and said, guys, this is not just the king of some other country. This is the king of kings. This is the Lord of glory that is now making his way towards you. And he stood and said boldly, prepare ye the way of the Lord. And he expected these people not to move physical mountains, but to move the mountains of sin in their heart. He didn't expect them to change the roads. He expected them to change their lives, to prepare a way for the Messiah to come straight into their heart. John was very good at what he did. Let me tell you a few things that made him good. John was good at his job. They thought he was a big deal, rightfully so, because John was not impressed with religious and secular titles. Just because someone was a king or someone was a high priest did not mean that John took it easy on them. John was told, we studied it last week, all flesh is grass. And all the glory of man is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of God shall stand forever. So no matter what title you hold on your name badge, doesn't matter. God desires the same thing from you. John had no fear of man. That made him good at his job. John was not trendy or fashionable. He wore camel skins, leather, leather, you know, girdles, and he, he ate locust and honey, and there was nothing. Could you imagine John coming out of the wilderness, trying to sing a rap song to get the attention of the crowd, you know, trying to be hip-hop and upbeat and contemporary with the people? Can you imagine that? I'm John the Baptist, and I'm here to save the king of kings. He's on his way. I just... That's not going to work, right? I mean, you hear that, you're going, oh, Brother Mike, don't ever do that again. That was so bad. John could not care less about the current trend, the Zeke haste of the time. He couldn't care less. He just got up and said what was right, which leads me to the next thing that I think made him good at his job. He was not politically correct. <laughs> he was the farthest thing from it. Matter of fact, the way you read it kind of sounds like he was trying to be non-politically correct. The multitudes came to him, we saw it last week, and the introduction was not hello visitors, it was you generation of vipers. <laughs> Who's warned you to flee from the wrath to come? I mean, the hammer fell as soon as you sat down in the seat. He wasn't politically correct. John was a holy man of God. Even John's worst enemy, Herod, even Herod had to admit that he is a holy man, that 
Yeah, John doesn't like me. He preaches against me. John stood right in his face and put that preacher finger right down there and said, it is not lawful for thee to have her because Herod had married a woman that he had no business marrying. His brother's wife took her. He said, it's not lawful. Right in the face of the king. And even Herod had to say, well, I don't like that much, but tell you what, he's not wrong. <laughs> he, even Herod admitted he's, a, he's an unadulterated, straight-to-the-point truth teller. You got to say that about him. You may not like his style. You may not like his volume. You may not like the clothes that he wears. He doesn't have the right tie. Or maybe there are many things you may not like about John, but you'd have to say that's a man of God right there. John had many people that loved him. As you can see in verse 15, many people thought he was the big deal. Now that being said, you saw it in Sunday school, there were many that thought he had a devil. Right? Jesus came with the pipe, they didn't dance. John came and mourned, they didn't lament. And he says, you know, John had his style. Jesus says, I have mine. You guys aren't responding to either style. You guys said John has a devil. Some of them saw John as being filled with the devil. So John certainly had his enemies. He had people that did not believe he was preaching the truth. But listen, popularity has nothing to do with success. Not by God's standards. Not by God's standards. In order to properly measure success, you have to measure it in relation to a goal. What are you trying to be successful at? If you are trying to achieve popularity and be seen of men, well, then you can do good at something, receive praise from men, success. But what did Jesus teach us about being seen of men. He said, when you do your alms, when you pray, when you fast, don't do this to be seen of men. That's Matthew 6. You know what Jesus said in Matthew 5? He said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So Jesus, what am I supposed to do? Am I, are they allowed to see what I'm doing? Or should they not see what I'm doing? Guys, we have to live in this world. We have to move. We have to speak. We have to have our jobs. In fact, people are going to see what we're doing. We can only control why we do it. Are you doing it to be seen of men? Or are you doing a good job at whatever you're doing so that people see God in you? Jesus said, let the light shine. Listen. Let the light shine so they may see your good works and glorify who? Your Father in heaven. If you're doing it for the applause for your sake. You say, I want to be a good employee. What's wrong with that? Nothing. We need more good employees. We need more people that will show up at their job tomorrow morning with a good attitude and give a good eight, nine, ten hours, whatever it is, to their boss and actually earn their paycheck. Amen. We need that. But if your goal in life is to be a good employee so that you can get promoted, get more money, retire rich, die rich, if that's your goal, my friend, by God's standards, you're not successful. Men might muse in their hearts and think, hmm, man, this guy might be something special. This guy's a big deal. But listen, at the end of the day, public opinion doesn't matter. What were we put on this earth to do to, to fulfill the will of God and in so doing give Him glory, to draw attention to Him? 
We were made in His image so that when people see us, they think of God. That's the goal. If your goal in working a job is simply to make money and die rich, how, how futile, how empty a life that is because you take none of it with you. But a life spent glorifying God. Jesus had this to say about John the Baptist. Jesus said this. He was a burning and a shining light. What did Jesus teach us to do? Let your light so shine before men. And after John was gone, Jesus said he was a burning and a shining light. I wonder if Jesus will say that about you at the end of your life. After your work is done, John was good at his job. He did it properly, not to gain the approval of his public, but because God required it of him and he was happy to do it for God's glory. Jesus said this, Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. What higher compliment can you have? What made him great? Not because the public liked him or hated him. That wasn't the issue. Look at Luke chapter 3, look at verse 16. John answered the crowd. They're wondering, are you the big deal? And he answered, saying unto them, I indeed baptize you with water. Watch this. John did not start beating himself up and saying all these bad things about himself. Go, go, listen, guys. I'm nothing at all. I'm a nobody. I'm, I'm useless. I'm just this horrible sinner out here. He didn't start going the other direction, going, no, God, you should hate me. You shouldn't. He acknowledged, indeed, I play a part in God's kingdom. I'm a part of this. I'm doing what God's called me to do. Are you? You're allowed to say, hey, I'm trying. He said, indeed, yes, I am a part of this. I am part of the deal. But then he's quick to point out, I'm not the big deal. I'm not the big deal. Watch what he says next. I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. Listen to this part. If you had a rabbi in these days teaching his students, the position of student was too lofty so that the rabbi could ask you as a student to come and undo his shoes and take them off as he entered the room. That was common practice in Jewish society. When a guest comes in the room, especially somebody of importance, you take their sandals off, you wash their feet. You've read the New Testament. You know this is so. Right? That they did, you know, they'd wash the feet, anoint the feet, stuff like that. If you're the rabbi, you would never ask a student to do that. That was too low of a job for a student. The job of undoing the sandals and washing the feet, that was the job of the slave. Only the lowliest servant in the house would be tasked with removing the shoes. You know what John says? I'm not even worthy enough to do that. Now, by saying that, he is not, he's not beating himself up. He's not degrading himself. He is acknowledging where he is in relation to the big deal. He says, guys, you think I'm something? You've given me praise because I preach it like this and I've told you the truth and God's used me like this and that. He said, indeed, I've done my part. But guys, you need to know the, the little that I've done is nothing in comparison to the one who's coming after me. 
Whatever burning and shining light John was, he said, guys, the one coming after me is the light of the world. (laughs) He is the sun of righteousness. I'm just the moon. I'm simply here to uh, reflect his light. I have no light of my own. I'm just reflecting his light. That's all I'm here to do. Guys, you think I'm something? Wait till he comes. At this point, John did not even know who the Messiah would be. He didn't know the identity yet. He hadn't baptized Jesus yet. That'll be next week's sermon or next time's sermon. All he knows is from the Old Testament, the Messiah is going to be the big deal. Which, if you don't mind me getting a little into your head, not just your heart for a moment, he knows the Messiah is going to have feet. I know that might sound strange, like, duh. (laughs) If you're a Jew in the Old Testament, there are many of them that fought that God himself was going to come down and that God would destroy the enemy and God is the Messiah. See? The idea that of, of the Messiah coming down in human form, that God would come down and take flesh. John said, I'm preparing a way for God. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now he's saying God has feet. So God is not only a spirit, God can also come down and take human form and wear shoes, which means Jesus is God manifested in the flesh. Small truth you can dig out of that statement. John makes it very clear. Yes, I am a big deal. Indeed, I'm doing this, but I'm not the big deal. Paul writes this in Colossians 1 verse 18. For those of you writing the verses, Paul says about Jesus that in all things, he might have the preeminence. He might have the preeminence. Eminent, if something is eminent with an E, if it starts with an I, it means immediately. It's right here in front of me. Eminent with an E means it is of the utmost importance. It's eminent, it's huge, it's big. It is a big deal. Paul said that in all things, Not just in church, at work, at school, with your friends, everywhere you go, everything you do, in all things, he might have the preeminence. So all the other big deals in your life, they pale in comparison to the big deal. Come back, oh, you're in Luke chapter 3. Let me remind you, of something I told you. We're going to look more in verse 16 in just a moment. That, that's it. I wanted you to go to John chapter 3. You can hold Luke 3. You guys go to John chapter 3. Forgive me. Uh, John chapter 3. I want to show you more of the conversation. In Luke 3, it says they came to him. They were musing. They came to him. And then John answered. I'm going to show you more of the conversation just now. Last Wednesday in church history class, during the introduction, I, I made this statement. The success of a church is not determined by its popularity, but by its obedience to Christ. That is true of the church, and that is also true of you as an individual. The success of you as an individual is not measured, it's not determined by your popularity. It's not determined by the pastor patting you on the back. It's not determined by how many people in your church or in your community recognize what you're doing. 
Your success as a Christian is determined not by man's opinion, but by God's. Not by man's standards, but by God's. Are you fulfilling the will of God by the word of God? Your success will be measured by your obedience to Christ. Not through your hearing of a sermon, but your doing of it. That's the measure. John 3, verse number 25. John 3 and verse 25. Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. John's baptizing, and of course the Jews had ritual washings at the temple, so they're asking questions. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, talking about Jesus, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. You know what, he's point, what the crowd is pointing out? John, you're not as popular as you used to be. I bet your offerings are down, John. Bet you're not getting as, as much money in the offerings. Not as many people are coming to your church in the wilderness. You know, not as many people watch your YouTube videos as they used to. They're starting to follow this Jesus guy more than you. You know why the crowd is asking John about this? Because the common man looks at this and says, oh, shame. Sorry, John, you're failing. You know why they think that? Because the natural man looks at his life and says, I have these dreams and plans and goals, and, and my big deal, the big deal in my life is to live comfortably to achieve my version of success, to be well-liked by the people around me. I don't need to be fancily rich. I just need to have enough so that I can do the things I want to do. That's the natural man. That's what we think life is all about. Let me have a good harvest, and if things go really well, I'll tell, tear down my barns and build bigger barns. And the world around us gives you the shop and says, good job, you're a success. And they're coming to John saying, John, kind of looks like you're losing out here, man. You're, what we think your plan is, listen to this, what we think your plan should be is that you should get famous, stay famous, and your following should grow, and all of your plans and wishes should work out, because that's what the natural man usually wants. They said, shame, John. According to us, your life is kind of falling apart. You're losing popularity. This Jesus guy is overshadowing you. Aren't you a little jealous, John? Aren't you a little frustrated that Jesus is now getting more attention than you? John says in verse 27, he answered and said, a man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. In other words, these are not things that the natural man can figure out. Heaven has to reach down, touch your heart, open your mind and say, this is what success really is. The reason the world thought John would be jealous is because they're looking at this through human eyes. Rather look at it through the eyes of the Holy Spirit. Verse 28, ye yourselves bear me witness, John says, that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He says, guys, you should know that I'm not jealous. I'm not upset. My life is not about me having all of my dreams and wishes fulfilled and being famous and comfortable. And That's not what I'm about. 
Yes, I want to do a good job. I want to be a good employee, a good husband, a good father. I want to be good at what I do. No problem with that. Indeed, I do that. But I'm not the big deal. I wonder, friend, if you can say the same thing today, sincerely in your heart. When Jesus called us as disciples, he said, if you'll lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. If you could be content this morning in your heart to take what you think life should be like, your goals, dreams, and wishes, and set them to the side and say, you know what? These things are big deals to me, but nothing compared to the big deal. And if I need to make some changes in my life, my schedule, my family, my heart, so that Jesus Christ gets the preeminence, then I'm very happy to do that. I will lose what I think life is to gain what life truly is. That is Christ. Verse 29, John gives a sermon illustration. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. Now, immediately, we should know who this is. The bride and the groom. Do we know who they are? The bridegroom, we just say the groom, that's Jesus. Right? He's using a wedding as an illustration. The groom is Jesus. Now, we know we have a complete Bible, so we know this now. The bride, you know who that is? The church. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, Who's this friend? John. You know what I want to call him? He's the best man at the wedding. He's, John, John the Baptist is not in the church. You know that, right? John died before the, before the body of Christ was started. The body of Christ started in Acts 2. John died even before Jesus really got, got going, you know, full speed. So John's not in the church. He's like the best man at the wedding. He says, the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. He says, guys, it's like going to a wedding, and there's the groom, there's the bride. I don't want to be the centerpiece of that wedding. If you're ever asked to be the best man at a wedding, please do not get all the attention. I'm sure you've all heard of things like this happening. I saw it just yesterday in a video. Maybe those of you that are seeking to be married soon, just keep this in the back of your mind. This is good, good advice. The bride and the groom are standing there in front of the preacher, and they're on a nice little platform, and they get down to the vows. Do you take this man to be your lawfully leaded, uh, wedded and so on? Leaded. <laughs> there may be some truth in that. <laughs> Freudian slip there, uh, lawfully wedded husband, da-da-da, and, and the lady says, I do, and the preacher says, may I have the rings? And it's, you know, it's a very special moment. We're kind of building up to that moment. The rings go on. There's going to be a kiss. Yeah, it's going to be a big moment, right? The best man has the rings. He steps forward. He tries to get his foot up on the platform. That clumsy best man, he tripped. He fell into the bride which then the bride fell into the preacher and both the bride and the preacher fell off the platform into the swimming pool behind them. <laughs> Curse splash. I'm going to say, I don't know them, but I'm going to say for the rest of their lives, the key moment in that wedding is that clumsy best man. <laughs> That's what they'll be talking about. Right? 
Probably not the sermon, probably not, you know, the beautiful, just that best man stole the show. Unintentionally, he didn't mean to, I hope, (laughs) but he stole the show. Don't steal the show in your life. God put you here, not for you, but to have fellowship with him. Not to fulfill all your wishes and dreams, but His will, His perfect, His good, acceptable, and perfect will. Don't be that best man stumbling through life, mistake after mistake, and everybody goes, man, I remember you for that. It's our time, and as he says in verse number 30, John the Baptist says, He must increase, but I must decrease. Are you okay today? to take a step back from your own life and say, okay, I know what I'm doing. It's not that it's not important. To be a good husband, father, employee, student, all of the, that, that's, that's a big deal. Let's not make it small. It's a big deal. But to take a step back and go, you know what, it's not the big deal. The big deal is that G- Jesus Christ is center stage, preeminent. The light is shining through him and to him. I'm simply reflecting what he's doing in my life. Come back to Luke chapter 3. John the Baptist was well aware of what he was meant to do, and he did it. In verse 16, he talks to us about baptism. I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I'm not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Let's speak for a moment about baptism because John uses the issue of baptism to illustrate just how much greater Jesus is than him. He says, you guys think that I might be the Christ because I'm down here in some dirty old water of the Jordan River baptizing sinners. He says, you guys think this is a big deal. He says, it is, but guys, this is water. This is Jordan River water. This is Moirefir water. (laughs) This is net water. Right? Water is physical, it's temporal, temporary. It is an outward thing. The water of baptism does not touch your soul. Amen and amen. It does not wash away sins. It washes away that crud you have on your hands from what you were doing out in the yard. (laughs) That's water. Water is temporary, physical, outward. John says, the one coming after me, this Messiah guy, the Lamb of God, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost. That is inward. That is spiritual. That is eternal. That baptism, once it happens to you, you are now, listen, the Bible says, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. The baptism of the Holy Ghost is not some strange, magical, mystical experience that causes you to say and do strange things. That's not it. The baptism of the Holy Ghost happens when you receive Christ as your Savior. The Holy Spirit comes in and He joins you with the Lord. You are reconciled because the blood of Jesus Christ washes away your sins and now there's nothing separating you from God anymore. Justified, reconciled, redeemed, put back together with God the way it should be. The Holy Spirit puts you into Christ. That is the baptism of the Holy Ghost. 
John says when Jesus comes, that's the baptism you're going to get. You receive Christ, and Christ then says, here you go, Holy Spirit, do your work in him. And the baptism of the Holy Ghost begins. Once you're in the body, you never come out. You cannot be separated from Christ. Neither death nor life, angels, principalities, powers, things present, things to come, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That baptism is inward, spiritual, and eternal. But let's speak for a moment about this fire because I believe there's some confusion about it. People say, well, we should even pray for the baptism of fire. And, and they kind of run it together with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. They see it as one singular baptism. And friend, I think that is dreadfully wrong. Listen, the baptism of fire, it is also eternal. It's eternal, but you don't want it. So now, is this just a Baptist opinion? Well, it is John the Baptist saying it. <laughs> So, so yes, but it's not the opinion of a Baptist church. Let's allow the Scripture to interpret the Scripture. Is that okay? John, what did you mean by fire? Read verse 17. Whose fan is in his hand. Now, a fan is like a winnowing tool, so you take the wheat. It looks like a small wicker basket, a fan. You, you, you put the wheat in a small basket, you throw it up in the air, and then if it's wheat, you know, the actual grain falls back into the basket. But then the chaff, I think y'all say cough, it'll blow away in the wind. So they throw it up in the air over and over again, separating the chaff from the wheat. That's the fan. He will, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor. Thoroughly. Nobody's going to get missed. When it's time for judgment, everyone shall give account of himself to God. You're not going to be able to run and hide. Adam, there isn't a tree big enough to hide behind on that day. When God says, where art thou? You will be called to carpet. He will thoroughly purge his floor and will gather the wheat into the garner. The garner is the kingdom. The wheat are the children of the kingdom. Those that have been born again, they get to enter into the kingdom. But the chaff he will burn with fire. What kind? Unquenchable. Guys, that's the fire of damnation. That is the fire of hell. It is the fire that we read about in Revelation 20 and 21. that says death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. That lake of fire is an eternal place. Once you enter in, you don't come out. The baptism of the Holy Ghost puts you into Christ. You never come out. The baptism of fire sends you into everlasting fire. You never come out. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 25 that one day he will call the sheep and the goats. He'll separate them. And he says to those on the left hand, the goats, depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. That fire is a real thing. It's acknowledged by John. It is emphasized by Jesus. And we would do well to take it serious. You want to know how much greater the Messiah Jesus is than me? I can only put you in the water. Jesus can put you in the spirit or in the lake of fire. This fan, this winnowing tool, it throws the wheat up in the air. Now, you understand that the chaff is that little covering that covers the seed or the grain on the end of the, the stalk, right? The end of the plant. 
when it blows off, it's, it's translucent. You can almost see through it. It's empty. It's just a shell. Listen, it's an outward covering. It's not the real fruit. It grows together with the fruit until the end, but in the end, it gets separated and exposed for what it really is. You can sit in a church your entire life and blend in with the wheat But when Jesus comes with that fan of judgment, all will be exposed. The secrets of your heart will be exposed. And on that day, you cannot convince Him that your religious rituals are enough to pay for your sins. Many will say on that day, Lord, didn't we prophesy in Your name? Didn't we do these wonderful works? And He'll say, I never knew You. You played the game well. It was all outward. It never sunk into your heart. You know, this past furlough, I got to spend time with our grandkids, and oh, wow, my first experience, right, to meet my second grandbaby, had the chance to spend time with Chloe, the older grandchild. She'll be three in a couple of weeks here. Christmas with grandkids is special. Oma, Opa, Sayak no divarheit, Kerspies met die kleinkinderkies is net wonderlijk, ja? Oh, that's great. I love to get them gifts. You know why? They don't need to be expensive. They just want to open a lot of gifts, right? <laughs> Chloe, like I said, almost three. We give her a bunch. We wrapped. We wrapped things that she already had. <laughs> you know how kids are. They forget they have it. <laughs> Parents, learn to recycle. <laughs> learn to recycle. So Chloe gets that gift, and she opens. I mean, she's old enough now. You know, when they're one, they don't know how to get the paper open. But now she's almost three. She can get any paper open. That wrapping paper comes off. And isn't it, it's kind of cute. She just throws it right behind her back. Wrapping paper to the side. She looks at that toy. She says, aw, thank you, Papa. Thank you. Toy goes by the side. And the next one? <laughs> I understand. I was almost three once. <laughs> I get it. Shane, there's a lot of people in their 40s and 50s still kind of do the same thing. Thank you, but where's the next? <laughs> you know, she took that wrapping paper. Here comes a present. Paper by the side. Present. Oh, that's nice. Sit it. Next. Paper off to the back. Oh, that's nice. Next. Now, you know what she did later? She circled back around. Thank God. She goes back to the pile of toys and starts playing with them all. Did you know she never, ever went back to look at the wrapping paper? You know why? Outward covering. Outward covering. It served a purpose for a short time, but once the paper comes off, it's off. You know where it went? Trash can. Hey, we don't believe in reincarnation where we take the wrapping paper, save it, and rewrap things later. (laughs) That'd be reincarnation, right? Bring it back for the next present. We don't do that. (laughs) You can do it if you want. You can reincarnate your presence, but... (laughs) we don't do that that paper is done it's finished it's gone listen at the end of your life you're going to die this body's going to be put in the ground you're going to stand before God and if there's nothing in your soul if you are a spiritual lightweight that's it cast out into everlasting darkness and there's no coming back there's no coming back take your Bible if you would look at Luke chapter 12 we're going to finish here 
Let's get verse number 16. Luke 12 and verse 16. Obviously, we are going to visit this passage again one day in the future. But for now, let's take a look. Luke 12 and verse 16. Uh, Jesus has been approached by some people asking his help to divide an inheritance. And he spake a parable unto them, verse 16, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. He is doing very good at his job. Things are going very well. And by the world's standards, he's a great success. Verse 18, he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. Now, quick question. I, I want to make sure we're balanced here. Anything wrong with doing good at work? Nope. Anything wrong with getting a bigger savings account? No. Investing in a, you know, a, some sort of stock and bond that might grow? No, there's nothing wrong with that. Up until this point of the story, there's nothing to rebuke. Look what he says next. This is where the problem comes. Verse 19, and I will say to my soul, Whoa, wait a minute. You think that building bigger barns somehow touches your soul? Now, it's a big deal if you did well at work and you retired comfortably. Praise God, there's nothing wrong with that. You feel no conviction about that at all. Good on you. But don't you dare think that because you were successful at work and had the approval of your public that somehow your soul is better off. Your bank account doesn't help your soul. I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. That's a lie. Those things in the barn are not laid up for your soul. They're laid up for your body. He says, take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And unfortunately, that's the chief goal of too many people today. Verse 20, but God said unto him, thou fool. You know what a fool is, biblically? A short-sighted person. Wisdom thinks the thing through. A fool just takes one quick glance at the outward appearance, at the chaff, and says, that's enough. Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? You're not taking this stuff with you, Mr. Rich Man. Everybody around you might think you're a big deal, but not God. Mr. Rich Man, the problem is you were successful in some big deals, but you're missing the big deal. You have no relationship with God through His Son. Verse 21, so is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Jesus said it like this, What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? I hope that God blesses you with success. I hope that you are a good employee, husband, father, wife, mother, all of that. I hope you are good, and that is a big deal. But folks, let's not lose sight of the fact that Jesus is the big deal.
You know what John did after he gave this answer in Luke 3? The Bible says many other things in his exhortation he preached unto the people. He went right back to preaching. John, John, are you the Messiah? No, man. I, no, listen, I got a job, I'm doing it, but Jesus, that, he's the big deal. And you better take him serious because it's either eternally here or eternally there. And John went right back to preaching. You know what the people had to do? Make a decision. Okay, John, we thought you might have been a bigger deal than that. But you're telling us that that guy's the big deal? Okay, I want him then. So now I'm done preaching. I'll be back next Sunday by the grace of God to preach again. You know what it's time for you to do? Make a decision. You know what? There's some things in my life that are a pretty big deal. And I don't think Jesus has had the preeminence the way he should. I want to fix that. I want him to be the middle pin, the centerpiece in my life. And if you've never been saved, today's the day not to get baptized in water, but to receive Christ as your Savior, to be joined to him through the Spirit. Let's all stand, if you would, please. Heads bowed, eyes closed. As the music plays softly, I'd like to give you just a moment or two to think on what you've heard. Church is not a contest. This isn't a popularity contest today. The message was not delivered to try to achieve a certain level of pats on the back. And I hope and I believe it's true for many of you this morning. You didn't come to church so that people could see that you're here. Many of you came today because you want to hear from God. And maybe this is just a message to remind you of how big a deal Jesus is. He is the big deal. Maybe today you've come and you have been distracted by the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches. Your priorities are all out of whack. If I am, I implore you, take just a moment or two With your eyes closed, you're going to have to look with the eyes of faith. Look up into heaven at the right hand of God. Look at the one with the nail scars in his hands. His side still open where they shoved in the spear. Look at the one who died for you. He's the big deal. Your eternity depends on what you do with him what you do with Him. If you've never been saved, I beg you today, make that right. Father, thank you for the privilege of preaching. Lord Jesus, help us today in our life. Maybe maybe we need to throw it up in the air and let the chaff blow away. The unimportant things just be blown to the side and let the wheat of the Word the meat of the word come down and stick with us. We want to go out with our eyes focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. Some will hate us. Some will will love us. Lord, as long as they get to see you in us, that's our desire. Lord, we want to do a good job at whatever we do, but we want to do it for you. 
Help us this week to achieve that, to glorify our Father in heaven. Lord, perhaps somebody here isn't saved. Touch that heart, please. Let this be the day that they realize they're just chaff. It's all outward with them. Let it sink down deep in their heart today. Father, thank you for your help this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Folks, thank you so much for being with us this morning. Take some time to fellowship tonight, 6 o'clock at the New Church Plot. Find you there for Bible school. And trustees, if you want to meet me up on the stage just now, we'll have this meeting and let you guys get home to your families.